mental health professionals across the world are trying to do this is we're trying really hard to have people understand that there is no separation between physical health and psychological health. With mental health, it is it is as much a chemistry game as it is an environmental one. So there are a lot of things that you can do to change your body chemistry in order to change how you feel. Kia ora from New Zealand and welcome to the Fernware Learning Lab hosted by Bill. And Kelly, Fernware's research and insights team. In this podcast, you'll meet some of the world's leading educationalists who will be sharing their stories of inspiration and insights for the future with some practical advice for the classroom. How's the week uh, for you, Kelly? We've gone from level four to level three, but any changes, really? No, not at all. It still feels business as usual. I kind of feel like we're in a bit of a routine now with this whole homeschooling thing and working from home and, you know, in your own little bubble and where you can get exercise and everything. So I kind of, um, yeah, we just stayed as is. We were going to extend our bubble and then, but no, all good. Business as usual, really. What's it? We're in the waiting room. Is that right? We're in a waiting room. That's right. I like, I like all the analogies are kind of simple to follow so yeah obviously a few kids went back to school um you know last week I had friends who sent their kids to school um we didn't but um yeah so I think my two are really amping to get back though what about your kids yeah because they're older so they've been working from home and uh, we've been making sure that internet speeds are good enough to to um work with everyone and yeah um I've learned a lot myself about uh, the legal system and uh, leaseholds. Um, it's been lifelong learning. Excellent. That's good to hear. So um, what are we up to this week, Bill? So this week, in the second part of our great interview with uh, Katiana Asman, the child psychologist from Kuala Lumpur, um, we discuss about routine and how routine is so important for students and for families. And we also look into um, students with special learning challenges. So um, the approach they've been following at school, it's really important that that's continued uh, at home so that there's, there's no mixed messaging. So that's two really good subjects. And then also some great advice about keeping healthy mind and body during stressful times. She had so much good practical information, didn't she? on that and about, you know, connecting, um, you know, your health and well-being, your psychological and your physical, there's no difference really, it's all chemical. Um, and she had some really good tips on how to, how to cope, <laughs> which was really good. Um, so it's well worth a listen. And um, yeah, remember if you would like us to cover any subject or you would like to be interviewed or you know of someone that you think would be a great guest, please get in touch. Um, but for now, sit back and enjoy this week's Learning Lab podcast. And so we were going to talk a bit about the importance of routine and and how to maintain it. Now with the pandemic, definitely. But generally speaking, kids do function well on some type of routine. Mm. Um, Individuals who are, even individuals who are anxiety prone. So this is even something that we're recommending to adults as well. Routine and scheduling somehow reinstates um, some control back in your day um, because you're able to know what to anticipate and so on and so forth. Um, So with kids, it's really important for the same purpose and also to mitigate boredom so you know kids because of again of their level of neurological development um, expansive spans of time don't really sit well with them um, because their brains don't really function in the ability to sort of see long-term consequences so the idea of waking up in the morning and having 
14 hours or so of uh, time is like, oh, you know, like it's just not, not doable. Um, so a routine helps break the day into manageable portions yeah. so that their brain can kind of focus on this parcel of time versus that parcel of time. When it comes to creating these blocks, again, I'm not against kind of customizing it based on their age. So younger children, I probably wouldn't want to. So younger children, meaning sort of primary school age children, I'd want the blocks to be smaller because they're, you know, their, their attention span is a lot more limited compared to teenagers. So I would recommend blocks of time that are probably like 30 minutes to an hour maximum. Um, and then kind of, um, adjusting from there and then giving them a little bit of a break, like 15 minutes to kind of do something else or to swap out to a different activity activity before you go back into academics again right um with teenagers there would be probably a little bit less flexibility because i think at least over here most of the high schoolers do have a you know online school where they have to sit and you know they can't really move around but when it comes to sort of planning the second half of the day you're absolutely capable of coming up with blocks that are slightly larger and then using that to kind of include activities that um, either they want to do or you guys want to do together. So those are kind of like the general guidelines when it comes to the routine. So customize it based on the attention span of your child. Um, the second thing is I would recommend having your child have a designated sort of study space. You know, I know some houses might not be possible where they have, you know, they can't work in their bedroom, but if, at the very least, don't let them work in bed. Yeah. Reason being is that you know, the brain loves patterns and definitely the bed is a space where the brain's kind of like, ah, sleep, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of parents are noticing that when their kids study in bed, they kind of get distracted. Some of them fall asleep. Um, and that's just because the brain has identified the pattern in that area, right? Yeah. So if your house has the space for it, I would recommend having your child um, allocate a designated study zone. The third kind of thing that I often tell parents is, you know, the goal is to actually not turn your house into a, into a school mm -hmm. because there's a lot of elements in school that you're not going to be able to replicate. So don't put that extra pressure on yourself to try to run your child's learning like as if he was he or she was in school. Um, you know, if your child is supposed to do maths and is kind of struggling with attention that day, feel free to kind of be flexible with it and have it kind of like move things to the kitchen and do sort of like um, additions and multiplications using kitchen ingredients or have them watch a YouTube video. Be, be kind of a bit creative with it if your child is struggling with sort of the paying attention to the screen, doing it on a, you know, reading it from a book. So there are ways to kind of be really flexible. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I would, I would recommend. We talk about so much is lost by going remote. How can students collaborate with remote learning? Definitely there's a lot that's being lost. And I think that a lot of children, especially the ones who love being able to kind of like discuss and do kind of research together and brainstorm, that's definitely something that's been impacted by sort of this distance learning. So, you know, the only sort of um, avenue that I can think of is to, is to use technology to, its, mm. to the maximum. But I would kind of identify what are the things that are making it hard for you? So is it because you can't be in a room with your friends? Is it because, um, you know, you're not a texting kind of person? Or maybe is it because you don't have the access to tech to like a laptop and things like that? And then using that as a stepping stone to find a little bit of a way around it. There's a couple of um, questions I wanted to ask around making sure that students have clarity, but also the expectations of learning from home. I know a lot of you know teens are working towards their IGCSEs, their VCEs, whatever they're studying mm -hmm. towards. They have much clearer 
checkpoints or guidelines or you know the milestones that they have to reach with regards to their learning and so we could essentially use that and identifying okay if i need to be able to learn this how would i be able to show that i have learned this what are the ways with which we can assess your understanding of that but for younger children i think there's a for primary schoolers there's definitely a lot more flexibility with that right so I would kind of first identify what are the key areas that they would need to understand. And then secondly would be how would the school go about assessing those things, right? Um, and then using that as a little bit of a, of a guideline, uh, you know, communicating that to the student, to your children as much as possible. I think a lot of parents are telling me, you know, they don't really understand what they're supposed to be doing. Oh. And I think that's kind of where a lot of the, the confusion comes from. They announced the lockdown, I believe, 24 hours before it kicked in. And so schools had no time to kind of prepare. And so what was happening was that teachers were just sending whole syllabuses to parents. And, you know, online learning didn't start until about a week or so later. And so parents were kind of stuck with this, with this really intimidating file of stuff and not knowing kind of how to do it. Yeah. Um, and I had some parents say, like, I don't even know half of this stuff. Like, I don't know about, you know, math and science. And, um, and so I think that's where a lot of the stress comes from. What about students with um, learning challenges or, or specific needs? How um, can teachers and parents support those uh, students? I would tell parents not to kind of um, expect your child to be able to perform a hundred percent to what maybe the school is expecting them to do we have to first identify what are the challenges that they have so for example a child who has um, an attentional disorder like ADHD would not be expected to sit down and do hours and hours of work um, if he or she was attending a school with a learning support or with a shadow aid they wouldn't be doing that as well. So we'd have to definitely customize their learning based on their challenges. So a child with an attentional issue, I would definitely break those parcels into something even smaller. So not even the 30 minute I was talking about previously, I would probably be looking at like 15 minutes. Um, and then whenever they kind of clear these parcels of time, they could get like an incentive, like they can have like a little treat or they can have a break where they can watch YouTube for half an hour. So you kind of use that as an incentive because children with attentional difficulties will have difficulties with three areas, which is paying attention, so focus, um, hyperactivity, if they have you know, ADHD versus what we used to call ADD, um, and then problems with impulse control. So everything's sort of very immediate gratification. So those are some of the challenges that will impact upon you know, sort of conventional learning styles. If your child has been attending a school with some support, I'm sure the teachers already know that he's got these challenges and they should be able to assist you from there. If you have a child with something like dyslexia, um, that's a little bit more challenging. So, I mean, there are certain uh, programs available online that help children with dyslexia when they're kind of learning through the screen. So, for example, you can change, um, I believe there are certain fonts available that are a little bit easier for children with dyslexia to comprehend. So you could set that up. But generally speaking, um, if you have a child with a learning difficulty um, and the school has been supporting them, I would strongly recommend having a conversation with your child's learning support or class teacher to kind of understand what have they been doing in the classroom to kind of help improve upon his learning um, and then apply that to the home setting as much as possible. There's also going to be continuity. So whatever that they've been doing in school, if you're replicating it at home, you're going to have less opposition because your child's accustomed to it. It's already being done yeah. at school. Then also when they do go back to school, you're 
class teacher is going to have less of a difficulty bringing them back to sort of the system. Right. So it's also good in that sense. Now, you know, obviously um, it is quite stressful for everybody, staff, students, parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's mindfulness, meditation, exercise. What are kind of some things that we could all be doing to look after our yeah. mental well- health and well-being? Everybody responds to stress very differently. Um, everybody kind of um, reacts to different triggers differently. Are you the kind of person who's affected by, you know, graphic images on social media? Are you the kind of person who's affected by being locked in the four walls? What are the things that are impacting upon your mental health? And then using that as um, a, a guideline as to what you want to address. So if you are someone who's affected by social media, go on a detox, try to cut that out as much as possible. Um, if it's being locked in the four walls, then I would kind of recommend Uh, making sure you have activities in different parts of the house or different parts of your apartment so that you're kind of changing the environment associated with the stressful kind of like memories. Everything that you've mentioned, Kelly, are all things that from a psychological perspective are all things that we recommend um, that have been proven to help reduce anxiety and stress. We normally recommend exercise because it's a way that we trick the brain to feel better. And it's all just chemistry because when you're exercising, your brain is releasing endorphins or what we call happy hormones and what that does is that it pushes up the level of dopamine which is the happy hormone in your system diet is a really big part of it so if you're pumping lots of carbs and oils and fats into your body and making yourself feel even more sluggish that's not going to make things any easier mental health professionals across the world are trying to do this is we're trying really hard to have people understand that there is no separation between physical health and psychological health. With mental health, it is it is as much a chemistry game as it is an environmental one. So there are a lot of things that you can do to change your body chemistry in order to change how you feel and, and vice versa. You could also have a medical illness that's, you know, your environment could be picture perfect but you could have a medical illness like you know something to do with your thyroid like hypothyroidism or hypothyroidism diabetes cancer chronic illnesses that change your chemistry and therefore make you feel the things that you feel so we you know there are a lot of things that you can do to trick the body into feeling better about about yourself than than you think that you do and mindfulness as kelly mentioned before um is one of the things that that kind of bridges that gap because what mindfulness operates on is the theory that it's not events that cause us to feel a certain way it's often how we think and how we feel about certain things that change the way we respond so mindfulness tells people that it gives you an awareness of how you are Uh, responding to certain things and how your response affects the world around you. So that's kind of the premise of mindfulness. It's not about the fact that we're in a pandemic. It's not about the fact we're in lockdown. It's about what being in a lockdown and and having a pandemic outside is making us feel and then how we respond from there. Is it true? I heard that psychologically, the actual stage of transitioning from one room to another actually affects the brain. Yeah, because, um, you know, we talked a bit earlier about how the brain loves patterns, right? So, because mm. we do a lot of talks about mental health and stress and burnout in companies. And one of the things that we often say is, you know, we ask how many of you feel stressed the minute you pull up to the lobby, the minute you walk into your office, you're like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's something a lot of people with burnout report. And it's not because anything stressful has happened in that moment, but it's because your brain has built a connection between this space and a usually high level of stress. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is not scientifically proven, but this is how I kind of look at it. It's sort of like the brain kind of saying, if I can already eliminate 
this space as being stressful and get you out of it it's easier. I don't have to wait for something stressful to come. I can already tell you it's going to be stressful here. So when I say like transitioning, it's because we're trying to break the sort of emotional connection that your brain is developing within something with something stressful in that space. So if you were kind of sitting down and if your child has been studying in his bedroom for hours and hours, chances are that's going to start building that bridge between my bedroom, computer, stress. So we want to be able to kind of have him move around so that at least he's not building that connection with just one space. Kachala, there's so many things to think about and so many words of wisdom. It's been absolutely awesome. I think Bill and I are going to walk away. We all feel like we've had a bit of mindfulness and a bit of our own time spent with you. So thank you so much. It's been amazing. No worries. And that just about wraps up our series of Leading During Times of Crisis. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new series of podcasts for educators where we discuss, amongst other things, returning to school and teaching um, with social distance and, and what does that actually mean for schools and for learning space design. Thanks for listening. If you think of any of your networks or school community that would benefit from Katiana's wise words, please be sure to share this podcast with them. And don't forget to subscribe and download the handy takeouts from her interview to refer back to. Actually, they're all in one beautiful kind of downloadable package now, all the takeouts from the last six episodes of this series. So until next time, take care. Ka kite anong. Cheerio. Goodbye from New Zealand.